0: Learn all about investing in real estate in WISTA, Massachusetts, with a combination of real estate financial planning and modeling with numbers specific to WISTA. Plus, syndicated, more generalized recordings of live and pre-recorded real estate investing classes. Not all of them specific to WISTA. Be sure to stay tuned after the podcast for a message from our sponsors. Well, good morning and welcome, everyone. Hope everyone had a nice Easter weekend. And now we are back. Today we are doing Portfolio Loans 101 for real estate investors. And apparently I got a typo. So I'm going to correct that and continue on. So today we're going to talk about portfolio loans. Um, They're a relatively unusual loan product. When you look at like how many loans you're likely to do as a real estate investor, uh, I've got some data on this that I just pulled from the National Association of Realtors. And portfolio loans would not be a significant portion. However, they're extremely important once you've used up your core 10 or and or when you are doing some more unusual things like buying in an LLC or buying where you want to utilize a self-directed IRA or self-directed 401k and not have to put... Know 35% or more down in order to do the deal. There's a way to structure it where you don't have to do that when you use a portfolio loan um, with an LLC and a partner. So let's jump into it today. So here's the latest data. Oh, and I'm James Orr, (laughs) in case I did not mention that before. So there you go. Uh, So this is some data that I just pulled from the National Association of Realtors. I believe this one is from the 2022. Home buyer and home seller profile. So they went and they pulled a very large sample of uh, recent home buyers and home sellers, and they asked them a whole bunch of questions. There's probably, I don't know how many pages, you know, 50 to 100 pages or so um, of all these different loan products um, for uh, the, the various people that did these loans. Um, pull up one thing here in case people have questions. There we go. So, um, so it tells you stats about how many, what percentage of these people did different loan types. And so, you can see in this one, of all the buyers that they pulled, 62% of them used conventional financing. So, that class we did on conventional financing, that covers about 62% of all the buyers that we had there. Um, if you look at the next one, though, 17% of them used FHA, 12% of them used VA, which is a relatively small number. You know, about 10% ish, 12%. Um, and then 5% did not know. So it's possible they could have used any of the other ones or they used something different. And then only 5% of the loans were other, which would include these types of portfolio products or, you know, a lot of other variations in those. So you can get a feel. Now, for first time home buyers, about half of them used conventional, about a quarter of them used FHA, about 10%, a little bit less in this case, used VA, uh, 8% didn't know. First-time home buyers, you would expect them to know a little bit less than all buyers. And then 9% of them used something other than that, which, again, we still don't know what that means. Uh, And then repeat buyers, 67% used conventional, 14% used FHA. So a lot fewer people used FHA uh, on their second loan. And 13% used VA. And still 4% did not know. And 3% used others. So you can kind of get a feel for what the popular loan programs are in that particular case. Now, this is the type of mortgage for first time and repeat home buyers based on whether it was a fixed rate mortgage or a fixed rate, then adjustable or adjustable, or did they not know or other. And so just looking at it, all buyers, I'm not going to do the, the crazy details. If you want to look at it, you can pause the slide and look at it later. But all buyers, 92% of the loans that they got were fixed rate mortgages in 2022, which doesn't surprise me. You know, a, a lot of people especially early on in the year when interest rates were very, very low, uh, we're probably getting those fixed rate financing things because loans were at or near all-time lows at that point. We I would expect in 2023 to see a slight uptick in the number of adjustable rate mortgages because I think to their detriment, some folks are using some type of adjustable rate mortgage thinking that, oh, I'm only going to be in this property for a year or two or three and or that rates are going to go back down and I'll be able to refinance out. I'm not so sure that that is the most prudent thing for folks to do. It's possible it could work out for you. I mean, we don't really know the future, but um, I don't know. I like the idea of locking in my interest rate risk and knowing that it's not going to get worse than a certain thing that I can handle. Um, And of course, if interest rates improve, I can always go do a refinance at that point and deal with it then. Let me do this here. Okay. Hopefully that's a little better. Okay. So uh, that gives you an idea of like what the loans are. So a lot of these portfolio loans are going to be fixed rate financing only if you do 15% terms, 15% amortization periods. A lot of the 30 year terms for portfolio loans are going to be adjustable rate mortgages. Now they may be like fixed for the first you know, year or two or five years or whatever it is, and then they become adjustable. But the overwhelming majority of them are going to be adjustable in some form or another. So be aware that that once you get to the point where you have to go do these portfolio loans and have to, I mean that you're unable to get the other loans anymore because you've kind of exceeded the limit or you're unable to get them for another reason, then you may be forced into taking some of these adjustable rate loans um, situations worth these uh, portfolio loans. Okay. So quick recap, I'm not going to reteach all the classes we've already done because we've covered all of these previously, but recap, other financing options besides these portfolio loans that we will typically used before we get to the portfolio loan option, Um, although some of them not so much that we would use beforehand, but um, some of them we definitely do. So the entire creative financing family, the owner financing, wrap financing, loan assumption, the whole rent to own, lease to own, lease option, lease purchase family, the whole agreement for deed, bond for deed, contract for deed, installment, land contract family, and then buying property subject to the existing financing. That whole group is what we consider Creative financing, and we've covered those previously. I'm not going to cover them again. We can usually do low down payment options a lot of times with those, and in some cases, we may be able to structure nothing down loan options there for private money. Um, we are going to grandma, someone that we already know who is not in the business of making loans, and we're asking them to loan us money in order to buy real estate. We can negotiate low or nothing down options there. It's usually based on some type of relationship or trust with that person um, and a little bit of negotiating probably. The quality of the deal probably does help in those cases in order to get the private money. Then there's the whole hard money family, which is usually someone who is in the business of making loans against real estate. Um, You're very likely to be able to negotiate some type of low down payment, in some cases probably even nothing down if the deal is good enough, and it's usually based on the quality of the deal, uh, and sometimes a little bit of negotiation there. For the hard money loans, they are generally commercial loans only. They are not usually loans to do owner occupants with, so you'll be limited in what you could do there. Uh, There may also be some local banks that offer lower nothing down loan programs, which are different than what we've already covered, so you can go check out those as well. And then typically the kind of group that we focus on for house hackers or nomads, again, house hackers are people that move into a property and they're renting out another part of the property. Either they're buying a single family home and getting roommates, or they're buying a duplex, triplex, or fourplex, and they're renting out you know one of the other units or all of the other units so that they can live in one and have the other ones there. So that's what house hackers are. Nomads are buying a property. They move into the property, usually as an owner-occupant with 5% down. Sometimes a little bit less, sometimes a little bit more, but they're getting owner-occupant financing. They're living there for at least a year. It's a requirement of the lender. The lender changes those rules. We'll teach it a different way, but they move in for at least a year. And then at the end of the year, or whenever they've saved up their next down payment, they go buy their next property, usually another owner-occupant property with little or nothing down. And then they move out of the old one, convert that one to a rental, and they repeat the process until they buy as many rentals as they want. So the loan programs typically for house hackers and nomads are VA financing. VA financing is a nothing down loan program for veterans. Uh, it requires VA eligibility, but you can buy single family homes with it. Duplexes, triplexes, or fourplexes. Then the USDA financing, which is typically for rural properties, another nothing down loan program. You can't buy just any property with USDA it has to be a property that is rural and usually only use those for single family homes. Then there's the FHA financing, which anyone can use. down is the lowest amount you could do on those, So although sometimes you can combine them with down payment assistance. And then you use those to either buy single-family homes or duplexes, triplexes, or fourplexes, which is a great strategy if you're trying to use minimal down, 3.5% in this case, in order to buy multifamily property up to fourplexes. Then finally, conventional loans, 3% down for like the uh, home-ready or home-possible, or whatever they call that loan program for the... uh, owner-occupants on those. Most of the time, though, we're going to be using 5% down conventional loans, and this is usually for single-family homes only. For the low-down payment options, you can buy multifamily, but it's not going to be at that 5%. And then the non-owner-occupant, if you're going to buy investment properties, it starts at 15% down, that does have PMI, or 20% down without PMI, and a lot of cases we will opt to put a little bit more down to get better interest rates and to borrow a little less to improve cash flow. Um, also a point that comes up a little bit later here is this up to 10 finance properties per social security and tax return when buying non-owner occupant properties. So I'm going to cover this here because it's part of why we go to portfolio loans to begin with. So when you're getting these loans, like conventional loans, FHA, USDA, VA, they count the number of loans that you have on your tax return that are on your social security. And so like on your social security number, when you go and qualify for the loan, And they say, hey, look, if if you have more than 10 loans total, like, you know, I've got a a VA property that I first moved into, it's a fourplex. I lived there for a year or two. Then I converted that to a rental. Then I went and I bought another property with an FHA loan. And so I've got, you know, these two loans, I've got two fourplexes that I did that way. Then I bought a whole bunch of conventional properties that I lived in over the years and I've kept all those. And I bought a few as rentals as well. Now I have 10 loans in my name an FHA loan, a, a FHA loan, and eight other conventional loans, some which I moved into and lived there as an owner-occupant, some which I bought as a non-owner-occupant for investment purposes from the very beginning. And they say, okay, great. You want to go buy another property? You no longer can get conventional financing because you have more than you have ten or 10 or more loans in your own name. So now you need to go and get a portfolio loan. And that's what we're talking about. That's why we're talking about portfolio loans is they are the solution once you get 10 loans in your name, okay? So that's what we're talking about there. So uh, just another couple of comments here about other financing options. Sometimes we will use down payment assistance, especially if you're a first-time home buyer, in order to buy a property and get some help with the down payment. And that's usually in conjunction with FHA, although you probably could do it with some other ones. And then these portfolio loans, which we're using today. Okay, so portfolio loans. So some people... We'll choose to use portfolio loans as a no matter house hacker and they're approved to do that not that they're like not allowed at all. Although as we will cover in a class I think we're doing on Friday your kind of loan planning class, you will find out that we probably should not be using a portfolio loan early on if we can avoid it. There's a optimal path or optimal paths, kind of like a, a best best use, best case strategy that we should use when we're talking about doing loans for nomads and house hackers. Um, and we will talk about that Friday when we talk about loan planning. But when you run out of your conventional loan spots, portfolio lenders are usually the next stop. And usually portfolio lenders are local banks that make loans that they keep. They're not selling them on the secondary market. They're not making an FHA loan or a VA loan or a USDA loan or a conventional loan and then selling it on the third market to someone else, you know, a quasi-government agency who's buying those. They're usually keeping them in their own portfolio and that's why they're called portfolio loans or portfolio lenders. And so you need to find the lender, not that those banks don't do other loans as well, but they also have a portion of their loans that they generate that they keep on their own books as in their own portfolio. Okay. So we prefer typically... 30-year fixed-rate conventional financing, especially when we're doing the nomad strategy or house hacking strategy, um, and, and even honestly for long-term buy and hold. I think there's a strong preference for this 30-year fixed-rate financing as evidenced by the data that we just showed you from 2022 profile of buyers and sellers. However, once you get to this point where you run out of conventional loan spots, you've got 10 or more loans on your social security number, then we go to these portfolio lenders. And a lot of these are typically like a three-year fixed rate financing, then it adjusts every year, which we call a three-year arm or a five-year fixed period. And then it becomes an adjustable rate mortgage after that, you know, for the next 25 years or a seven-year arm where it's fixed for seven years. And then after that, it adjusts every year or six months or whatever the terms are for your particular loan where it becomes adjustable. And a lot of these loans, they are 30-year amortizations, which means that they're they're scheduled to last for 30 years and that the loan will be paid off after 30 years. But they are adjustable rate mortgages, meaning that the interest rate on them is adjust with whatever the prevailing interest rate at the time is. So if interest rates go up, your payment could go up, which could get very ugly. Um, if your payment goes down, if the interest rates go down, your payment could in theory go down. But for those that are thinking to yourself, oh, you know, at as, as the time I'm recording this, interest rates are probably in the very high sixes, mid to high sixes, I would say, um, or, you know, for investment property, probably above seven. And you're thinking, oh, interest rates are incredibly high right now. Of course they're coming down. And I will tell you, No, that is not true. It is true that it is possible that interest rates can come down and it is true that it is possible interest rates could go up. And if you look at it, I did this this new tool. I think I called it like, I don't even remember now. It's kind of like my interest rates meter or something like that. I don't remember what I called it now. But basically when I looked at, if you put in what your interest rate is today, it told you what percentage of the time the interest rates were above that. And right now at about this kind of like six to seven percent range if i remember correctly we're only about the halfway point about half the time interest rates were higher than this and about half the time interest rates were lower than this so this is not an exceptionally high interest rate in terms of like recent time it seems exceptionally high because we've been in a period of very very low interest rates historically but that doesn't mean that seven is high it seems really high compared to two or three which is what we were getting before but it can, it can and has got up to 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18%. So, if you think that this is like really, really high, you could be in for a shock if something were to happen in our economy where the Fed would continue to increase rates and the rates on mortgages would continue to go up. And we don't know if that is their plan. There's lots of speculation out there. There's some people that believe that the Fed's going to lower rates and some people believe that they're going to keep them where they are. And if we end up with some other new crisis or inflation is not under control, who's to say that the Fed will not continue to raise rates? Okay, that's one of the tools they use to control the economy. And so it's possible that could happen there. All right, there is no hard limit on the number of portfolio loans that you can get. But you still need to be able to qualify for these loans. They have the traditional, you know, debt to income or debt service coverage ratio qualifications that they have. Um, They want to see like, you know, how your overall portfolio looks. A lot of times their underwriting is um, heavily dependent on your debt service coverage ratio, although every lender is a little bit different. But I've seen that to be the case for most of the time. Um, they can have very fast underwriting. Sometimes you can get approval in less than 24 hours. I will tell you, the more complex your situation is, which tends to be what's going on once you get to the point with portfolio lenders is you tend to have a relatively complicated situation because otherwise you, in most cases, would go and get you know conventional 30-year fixed rate financing. So a lot of times when you get to the point where you're using portfolio loans, you have a very complicated situation. But the more complicated it is, typically the longer it will take to get qualified. That's just been my kind of like my experience through my clients. Um, bigger purchases tend to go to a loan committee where they have different people look over the loan and approve them. It's not just the the lender themselves, the mortgage originator. And the relationship with the bank uh, does matter, especially how much you have on deposit. That can be a factor in whether or not you qualify. So realize you want to have relationships with the banks that you're going to be doing portfolio loans with, um, especially if you plan on doing more than one. Um The more you do, the more important I think that relationship with the bank is going to be and your ability to get loans there. Now, I'll add one more thing before we end this, and that is there is a significant advantage to being able to use a portfolio letter in order to do self-directed retirement accounts uh, when you're buying rental properties. So traditionally, if you want to go use your self-directed retirement account in order to buy rental properties, the bank's. The lenders are going to want you to not use conventional financing, not use FHA, not use VA, um, not use, um, I think I covered conventional USDA, VA, FHA. So they're not going to want you to use those. They're going to want you to use some type of portfolio loan. And if you go to the lender and you tell them, hey, look, I've got this self-directed IRA or self-directed 401k that's got a bunch of money in it. I want to be able to get a loan with my self-directed 401k or IRA and be able to buy this rental property. They will tell you that it probably needs to be a non-recourse loan because they can't go after the IRA or the 401k in order to be made whole. So they will tell you in order to make these loans, we will need to have a very large down payment. In most cases, they're going to take 35% down. And I will tell you sometimes if the cash flow isn't good enough, 35% 35% is the starting point and they will tell you after they see your deal that it's actually, we would need you to put 42% down in order to get your DSCR where you need to be uh, for doing this particular property. So 35% is sort of like the bottom threshold and typically it is more than that. However, what if you really wanted to use your self-directed IRA or self-directed 401k and you wanted to buy properties and you did not want to put you know 35% down? Well, some portfolio lenders some portfolio lenders will allow you to do something which is a little bit unusual in my mind. So they will allow you to go in. And if you have a partner who is coming in and getting the loan, and you as the self-directed IRA or self-directed 401k are really just a limited liability partner in the LLC, providing the down payment in order to do the deal, then they will allow you to do that deal with 20% down. So if you had an LLC that you formed with someone else, not yourself. But with someone else that you went in and you wanted to go buy a rental property, if your self-directed IRA or self-directed LLC, self-directed IRA or self-directed four hundred and one k rather came in and was a limited liability partner in an LLC that was providing the money in order to do the deal, you were basically funding the LLC. The LLC could go and get a twenty percent down investment property loan on that pro- on that uh, on the property that you're buying. Okay, so that is sort of like a an interesting little twist that some portfolio lenders, some portfolio lenders may offer you if you decide to go that route. So just kind of a heads up, that is a way to kind of not have to do 35%. Now you got to go bring in a partner, which, you know, the partner may or may not be, you know, taking, a, a, as taking more of the deal such that it is not worth doing, or maybe they're doing the deal and it's actually great. They're the ones that are co-signing for the loan or something like that. And so they're there. Okay. So to finish up, in conclusion. Investors often look to optimize their conventional financing loan spots before proceeding to these portfolio loans. Portfolio loans tend to be variable rate financing until so we tend to try to fill our loan spots with you know VA or FHA or USDA or conventional loan spots first with 30-year fixed rate financing in most cases. And then once we get those filled up, we move on to these portfolio loans, which tend to be, I would say, kind of like second tier, second quality loans. In that they are typically not fixed rate financing. Oh, I I don't know if I mentioned this, but there is an exception. A lot of portfolio lenders will allow you to do a 15 year fixed rate loan if you want to. So the 30 year ones are sort of variable, whether they're, you know, three year fixed and then variable for 27 or five year fixed and variable for 25 or seven year fixed and variable for 23. Um, Some of them will do a 15 year fixed period on those. But usually the cash flow on the 15 year amortization period makes it such that it's probably not worth pursuing those Um, Although I could see some situations where that is a useful tool, but most of the time we're not. Uh, so So what tends to happen is the portfolio loans tend to be the next stop after you do the conventional loan spots that are filled. And then there may be other reasons like partnerships where you're buying an LLC where portfolio loans make a lot of sense before loan spots are filled. So for example, if you're going and you're buying with, you know, you and two other partners or you and another partner, and, you know, one of you guys is actually getting the loan and signing as the the kind of the loan partner on that, and you're providing just the down payment and buying in an LLC in that format with a portfolio loan can make a lot of sense. Although there's still going to be some type of variable loan unless you do a 15 year loan on that. All right. So that's all I got on the portfolio loans. Awesome, everybody. Well, hope you have a great day. Thank you so much. We will talk to you uh, for the next class. Bye-bye for now. With home prices up, mortgage interest rates up, and rents up, but not quite enough to counteract the higher prices and interest rates. Cash flow on rental properties in Wista is harder than ever. Book a call with the Real Estate Financial Planner to apply our proprietary eighty eight strategies to improve cash flow on your rentals. See the show notes for a link to schedule your call and improve your cash flow today. If you're a real estate agent, lender, or professional in WISTA that wants to help our real estate investor listeners, consider reaching out to learn about collaboration opportunities with this podcast. We'd love to add more value to our listeners by having you assist our investors buy, sell, and finance their real estate investments. See the show notes to schedule a call to discuss collaboration opportunities.